Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to another segment here on GEMS Podcast. With me today in the hot seat is a special guest by the name of Joseph, who goes by Joe Rotella. And let me tell you a little bit more about him so you know what you're in for. So Joe started his graphic designing career in 2003. As he grew and became a better designer, he moved into other creative content and multimedia design, building his skills. One of those skills was audio recording and editing with being a musician audio recording and engineering uh, become a regular addition and has been learning the ins and out of audio ever since beginning his freelance and podcasting journey in 2019, it led to some new ways of how he distributed multimedia and he started his business, The Wild One Media. He also had an interest in cryptocurrency in 2017, so he decided to take a path of learning all about it. Knowing that this crypto market is young and new, he would find a way to teach others all about it which allowed him to start his crypto 101 show back in April of 2021. And without further ado, please welcome the man behind it all, Joe Rotella. Thank you, Genesis. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And I should have known you did something in music because I see all the guitars behind you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is my little office space somewhat. So yeah, all the guitars behind me and stuff. Yep. Super cool. And before we dive into the meat and potatoes of the segment where we're going to get into crypto, web 3.0, NFTs, and exchange, which are all like some of your babies, plus you'll probably cover a little bit on blockchain high level. I want to give the give you the chance for the audience to connect in a fun and personal way. And I like to do that by giving you two options. So the first one is we could do an icebreaker or we could play a rapid fire 10 question game. What are you in the mood for? Let's do an icebreaker. Okie dokie. So we're breaking the ice with <laughs> Joe. I want you to share something crazy that you have done in your life or a fun and interesting fact about yourself. Oh, man. Um, well, I'm. I'm a solo dad. Um, I do have a, I have my partner, my girlfriend who helps out, but um, raising a child as uh, some, as somewhat of a solo parent for a while. And then she came on board. That is extremely difficult uh, to navigate, especially as a man and having a daughter <laughs> um, because the two thought processes are different and it's taught me tremendously. Um, I always say that I believe Every man should have to raise a daughter just to understand more empathy and sympathy and the 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 realm of of a of a female's mind because it's incredible to to experience it from a different angle and stuff. Um, and a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people see me and just think I'm kind of like this weird musiciany band person. But um, you no, know, I have like a I have a massive 
enjoyment of being a father. And um, as an icebreaker, I just feel like that's something a lot of people don't re- recognize of me or, or realize of it. So, and that's one of the reasons why this podcast was originally started was to kind of leave a legacy mark for her to understand um, the functionality of like a new financial industry that one day she can take and understand how it all works and stuff. So. Oh, that's super cool. And I was hands down a dad's girl, but it's so funny that you mentioned that because when my parents had me, my mom had me late in life. She had me around 37. And when she would go to work, my dad would be home in the day so they could like alternate. So he was afraid to give me a bath because he said, oh, she was so tiny. I didn't want to like hurt her or anything. So like he found like a neighbor, like this woman and said, hey, can you come help me give my daughter a bath? (laughs) And then the neighbor became really good friends with my dad and my mom. And my mom told him, I told you I'll take care of that if you didn't feel comfortable doing that. So like I can resonate with that. And like when I found out that I was expecting, I wanted a boy because I was like, I'm so not girly. Like I love doing like four wheelers, ATV, yeah. zip linings and all of that stuff. And when I found out I was having a girl, I was like, interesting because like I pay to get my hair done, except now because like I just shower and go because <laughs> it's just it's just so much to just stand up and just straighten my hair with my cheek like because my hair is like super super curly and I like it bone straight yeah and then I was like oh my gosh I do my nails but you know someone else does that uh, <laughs> so I was like interesting and my husband was like hands down he wanted a girl he's like I just knew it was going to be a girl from the get-go and I was like I hope she breaks you down like like I did my dad because my dad was like starting my car up until the point where like I was married and well into marriage like he would start my car every morning he would make me a fresh cup of tea then he would put my water yeti cup in there loaded my bags and everything so all I had to do was just step out the door and I was like good to go and my husband's like I'm not doing that I'm not your dad and I was like I can't (laughs) wait till you have a daughter and she makes you do that (laughs) it's funny you say that because um with my partner my girlfriend who uh my daughter adores her and they get along very well but it's funny because like I did I do a lot of that stuff for my daughter and I do that for my my significant other and um it's the same it it is it it, it, I think he will transpire into that where he's like oh yeah because it just takes recognition of there's a weird uh, not to go off on a tangent but like unconditional love like you you have for a kid is it really does like breed into you all this like positive type stuff like that so I think it will I think you'll be surprised with what it does for for your relationship so hopefully hopefully so Super cool, Joe. And thanks for sharing that because I had no idea we would have opened up with that, but I think it's a good way for the audience to connect with you and see you in a different light outside of the work that you're doing now. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So I know crypto is your jam and some people haven't fully jumped on the bandwagon of crypto. I'm one of those people because I'm like, uh, I'm kind of conservative in a sense because I was like, okay, what happens if like this gets hacked or the money's gone or whatever. Yep. So let's start with like definition. So the audience knows a foundation and then we'll build up because I think that's a good way of learning. So let's start with crypto first. So whenever you think about crypto and getting into the industry, what were some of the myths that you had? And then how did you find out the facts? 
Sure. So I, I really, I, I want to preface too, like I am not for nor against crypto. It's more or less for me, like the start of the podcast was to give better critical thinking about it and understanding. And, and that's a perfect, so, um, so, so for me personally, like I had the same, same thought process as everybody else. Like this is fraud. This is this, this is that. And a lot of people, like a lot of crypto heads don't like that. I say this, but it's like five, I would say 95% of crypto is BS. 5% of crypto is like where the good substance where like, it's a game changer. Um, so starting with like some of the similar basics and stuff like that, crypto is basically a digital asset. Like you can't tangibly hold a coin in your hand, like a Bitcoin. It's not, it doesn't like exist. It's a, it basically you have to think of it like an encrypted piece of software is the easiest way to think of it. Um, and, and you can use this to a trade for goods and services between a, a buyer and a seller, or you can go to what they call a coin exchange, which is how you purchase crypto if you're new to it. Um, and a lot of people think with fraud that like immediately like crypto is just based in fraud. It's not necessarily fraud like we all think it is. Like it does happen. Um but it's mostly like people just get like it. It's like spam emails type thing. Like people who are who don't understand it get into these like bad situations, and and that's where it becomes like they they give somebody their coins and then they get nothing in return because they don't understand how it functions or operates. So it does happen, but that's where like the over the overall like perspective everybody because there's so many people in my family that think I drank Kool-Aid and I'm like listen I am not like you know that type of person it's more or less though this industry this crypto industry is a game changer for the future generation especially like my daughter you, you know your daughter grow, like eventually will be growing up and it's it's adapting to this new financial market um and there's there's a lot of economics behind this whole thing and I, I try not to like overwhelm people with it but like you kind of have to understand the financial industry because cryptocurrency is decentralized where like fiat currency like the u.s dollar is centralized mm -hmm. and that basically means you have a central point of authority so like the federal reserve is the u.s government's central point of authority with crypto it's called decentralized because not one single entity owns it Everybody that runs the software or the network, like the blockchain network, they own the cryptocurrency. So I'm trying to I'm trying to make this as simplified as possible. Well, let me ask a question. Go ahead. Question go ahead. there. So, like with the decentralized versus the centralized, it's almost like compliant. So one is a compliant, and yes. one is not necessarily compliant, regulated, or backed. And so, whenever it's not regulated or backed, it gives you, you know, a higher risk level. So some people who are, you know, they're not 
prone to like taking risks, they may say, okay, why would I want to put my money in something that is not um, centralized? Because what happens if, you know, it's hacked or um, there's cybersecurity threats or whatnot? It's like, who is going to fund the money that I lost? Would you say that's a good breakdown? Yeah. So you, you hit some good points there. Yes. So like the centralization part. So the, the overall underlying aspect of it was like, we're going to just use Bitcoin because it's the easiest one to understand it's the first coin so when satoshi nakamoto who is we don't really know who that was they created this bitcoin the original use case for it which use cases are important when it comes to cryptocurrency use cases like i always tell newbies like don't don't ever not read a use case or a white paper when you're investing or you're purchasing a coin because white papers are what tell you exactly what it does Anyway, going back to the centralization, decentralized thing. Centralized can still be hacked. Like the Federal Reserve has been hacked before. It has had has happened. That's where Satoshi Nakamoto said, hey, what can we do that could make something pretty much unhackable where there is no central point of authority? And without it being central authority, everybody gets to make the rules and come to a consensus that this works as it should. Where central authority, and, and again, I, I tr- I'm like trying to stay Switzerland in this where it's not, you know, because the Federal Reserve does certain things that are good and does certain things that are bad. Cryptocurrency does certain things that are good, certain things that are bad. But like with a central point of authority, a lot of the crypto heads that, that didn't like what like happened with the, pre, like the, the pandemic stuff, whether or not that's a, that's a opinion piece, you know, but, but a lot of people were like, well, they're just producing money into a system without anything, yada, yada, yada. That's where the decentralization comes in, where it has to get a consensus from the whole group of whoever, the software, the miners, they they call them nodes, basically. Nodes are the people that like run the software. And nodes predominantly are made with miners who mine out the coin. They basically solve these complex algorithms to produce a coin, but also like I own some Bitcoin. I, if I run software on my computer, I'm considered a node. And my computer, along with millions of other computers, have to come to consensus that that transaction between you and I was valid. And those transactions happen like, like really fast. You know, Certain ones take certain minutes, but they happen really, really quickly. The other point to de- decentralization is there's no middleman. So you're not getting undercut with fees and other things. When you brought up the hacking thing, there have been blockchains, which is the underlying technology under cryptocurrency, which we could talk about too, um, has been hacked. But Bitcoin itself has never been hacked in since 2009 when it got released. Has wow. never been hacked. Yeah. So that's where the ledger comes in. That, so blockchain's the digital ledger that allows that to happen. But- this is why it's like 5% of crypto is a game changer. 95% of it is kind of like, you, you got to watch what you're doing. Um, but P- Bitcoin's a really great example because it's, it's a proven coin. There's a lot of stuff behind it that's really, really good. Um, but, but that blockchain was developed to, to do that. It basically, in order for it to get hacked, it would have to take 51% of those nodes or those users, those computers to get hacked in order for it to happen, which is 
pretty much impossible to do because you're talking about millions and millions of computers at one time being hacked unless, which would not happen, 51% of the network of people that were on Bitcoin were like, yeah, we're going to take it down and do this to, to, to prove it. So anyway, the decentralization to that is that that's control and it takes accountability into like users like us to be like, this is our money. This is what we decide to do with it versus a centralized government being like, well, we're going to, we're going to do this with it or that with it. Does that kind of make sense? I'm trying to like simplify it. It it does make sense because it seems like with the um, Bitcoin and the crypto, you have more control and it also opens the the playing field for no matter where you are in your socioeconomic status. But the key factor is make sure you do your due diligence so you know that you're investing in the right one because you don't want to put your money in something that you fully don't understand because that's when you can get into the uh-oh moments where something does happen and then you feel like oh I should never put my money in in crypto but if you would have did your market analysis your research and really connect with the SME a subject matter expert that has been involved in crypto for a while then you would have the competencies to make sure that you are making the best decision you said it so much better. Yeah, that, that was so much more concise than me ranting about it. Yes, that is exactly exactly what I was trying to get across. So thank you for clarifying that. No, no worries. I'm, I'm just following you up, following you along. I'm learning this. So now let's get into what do you want to hit next? NFTs or Web 3.0? Let's build up to it so it makes sense for the audience. Let's do Web3 because Web3 kind of is the bigger factor here. And I think that's the umbrella that like encompasses a lot of where all this is going. So so feel free to whatever question you have on on Web3. Okay, so I am very new to Web3, meaning I don't play around in Web3 a lot. I've heard it thrown around. And I also heard that it's a great way for like content creators and marketers and different people to really take ownership of their platform because we've all seen what has happened whenever we rely on other platforms that just have so much power like Instagram, Facebook, and et cetera. What happened when everything went on a blackout? People who do their business in those spaces weren't able to operate. So for from the outside looking in, what exactly is Web3? Who started it? And then how can you really control what you put on that and have a BCP, a business continuity plan, in case something were to go down? Sure. So, so we had Web1 which was, so there was a really great tweet from, I don't remember who it was, but they, they broke it down really simple in terms of like understanding it. Um, but web one, we knew is like the, the late nineties when like, we all remember like the bad internet, those loud internet things. So um, the noises, and it was just static web pages, basically like the one, like, like your basic web, you know, like the Yahoo and GeoCities really ugly looking websites and they were basically just informational purposes. It wasn't really anything. And they called Web 1 read only, meaning like all you did was read. Um, then it went into Web 2, which is what we know it as right now, where it's like like it, it evolved into more of like e-tailers, retailers like Amazon, eBay, uh, more interactive that way, apps and stuff like that. So Web 2 became more read and write only, where it was like now you're starting to get into like programs and applications and things like that so that was like web 2 from like 
2000, I don't remember the exact range, but like 2007, maybe to like, we're still in kind of web two right now and transitioning into web three. So web two was read and write only web three, where it's going is going to be read, write and own only. And what that means is people like big data was web two, like we're Facebook, social media, like they were collecting data, collecting data. And a lot of users didn't like, like most of us don't like that. You know, it's used kind of against us. Um, this is where cryptocurrency with the decentralization comes in under the Web3 thing. Because blockchain allows you to own your own data, like your account, like we talked about before, is accountability. And that's where Web3 is going, where it's like, it's integrating AI, it's integrating crypto NFTs of ownership type stuff. Um, there, there's a whole other mask of that that's like coming into this Web3 playground and all that stuff. And that's where it's going. It could take two decades. We don't know yet because it's still merging into what we think it is. But it's basically where people are going to be owning their own information. And when it comes to like the whole business side of things with ownership and stuff, and like if we have the blackouts, I don't know necessarily. I, I couldn't tell just because it's so new. It's so new and the technology is still evolving. Like we're not even there yet with anything, but it's, it's, it's the AI side of things is where we get really crazy. Like we see all with like the Instagram filters and stuff like that's all becoming like, or the TikTok, whatever they are, the, yeah, like that's all integrated with a web three type setup where it's evolving into where you're talking about. So if people understand that where it's owning your own information, you're accountable for it. That's where it's kind of evolving into, if that makes sense, with the versus the web one, web two into web three. And that includes crypto, NFTs, AI. Um, there's there's other sectors too that now I'm I'm forgetting about, but there's so much aspects into that where it's coming into. And it sounds like with web three, it's giving people the more creativity power because you mentioned in yep. web, web one it was read only so all you could do was go there and consume the information you can't add right. anything to it web two you can consume and you can add web three you can consume add and control so you're you have the gatekeeper on the information that you post you can either keep it up you could take it down you may not have to go email someone and say hey this is no longer serving me or someone put this up about my brain I need to take it down. You have the luxury to pull it down and really protect your brand and your assets in a sense. Would you would you say that's a good summary? Totally, yes. That's a great summary, actually. I told you, you do a way better job of summarizing in simple terms of me. Yes, that is exactly, exactly. It's the the ownership of it is is the key. And that's why like like that 5% of own, like that ownership idea is a game changer to me because there is, I know a lot of my family and friends are tired of that big data owning information. And, and how many times do we see them get hacked? And again, that's where, and I, I try not to paint a utopia of this whole web three, because it, it it's dangerous to do that because a lot of the big tech companies are still in control. And that's kind of where the dictation of where it goes. So it's a little scary to know that's who's kind of front ending this um, whole situation, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, like I'm over here processing it. So that's why the wheels are turning. Because whenever you say whoever's front ending it, it's like you already know if you're in the space because you know that it's you. It's how I'm thinking about it from like just with blinders perspective. And then whenever you bring in AI, so artificial intelligence, you factor in RPA, robotics processing automation, blockchain, and some of the other technology, it's like you either need to stay ahead of the curve or you're going to get left behind because so many people and businesses are using automation because they want to focus on that process efficiencies and the working smarter, not harder method. So you have so many complexities there, but then what happens with complexity? complexities it makes it harder for things to get hat it secure proofs it and etc but unless you know enough to be dangerous but not yes. fully dangerous then i don't feel like you're going to really be competent in that area that is that's a great yeah it, it and that and that's that's where for me with the podcast it's like making people more competent like what i want like as society, we want better thinkers, you know, we want more critical thinkers because that's where it can evolve into something. That's why I say, I, I try not to paint a utopia because it's like, it's, it could evolve into something great, but it's scary still personally, just for me, I guess I shouldn't really say this, but in my opinion, corporations are scary to me because they can, they can definitely do things that are like not kosher with the populace and they still get away with things like that. So but but you're absolutely right, and and you actually um, you brought up too. Um, besides AI, you you mentioned another NCM. I'm losing my train of thought here for a Tuesday morning. RPA, robot robotic processing automation. Yes, automation. It's a whole other factor inside that Web three that's going to be cra- like which we're kind of already seeing with a lot of like fast food restaurants going to automated machines instead of having tellers, which could be good or could be bad depending on the job market. So there's so many aspects of it that is a uh, crazy to look at. And, and our generation's really getting like the front end of this, which is kind of scary because we've been through a lot in the these last few years, you know, it's it's weird to experience it. Anyway, that that was a tangent I probably shouldn't have gone off of, but no, I think no, no. it was important. Yeah. I- I think it's an important factor because my background is actually supply chain and logistics. So whenever I think about what ways can we improve in the logistics fields, it's like, I want to see automation because then if we can automate certain things, then we could really take that time where we're not spending working on that quote unquote project and diversify the time and really focus on our zone of genius so we can build out better systems, better processes to get things out the door faster, whether it's B2B, business to business, B2C, business to consumer or etc and then my entire background for the most part has been in oil and gas and energy for 12 years oh wow but a total of 15 years in corporate america and it's like we're always looking for ways to enhance but the but the thing that is scary is whenever something new comes up like automation they're like what happens if someone were to influence 
infiltrate our system. So that's whenever I asked about cybersecurity, I asked about how can we protect it from hackers? I asked about trade regulations and compliance because whenever you're in on the World Wide Web, sometimes you could trade currencies and whatnot. You could do all these other things, but then without the background knowledge, it's like, okay, what am I setting myself up for? Am I setting myself up for success or am I setting up my, myself for failures? And I know NFTs is like a hot topic right now because yeah. people are like, what are NFTs? Or they're saying, hey, if you participate in this challenge, I'll give you an NFT. And someone's like, hmm, should I do that? And then you get those <laughs> weird looks. So do you own any NFTs, uh, Joe? And if so, let us know, how did you get involved in NFTs? And I think it's like, not is it non-fundable? Non-fungible uh, to- tokens? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I don't own any NFTs, and but I do think NFTs are valid in certain use cases. So like we talked about with cryptocurrencies, there's use cases for certain things and NFTs being one of them. So a lot of people, because I had an episode on this to explain it. And again, a lot of people were expecting it to be like a Kool-Aid drink. And it's like, that's it. There's a bigger picture here. So, and, and, I, and, and. In my podcast, that's kind of the thing is like, it's a stepping stone. And and you pointed out just that last, what you were saying last is like, there's a whole background knowledge to all this stuff. And and the whole, not even just cryptocurrency, but the whole web three thing is huge. It's a, it's a really big, and to have an understanding of how it all operates is pretty important, you know? So anyway, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, a lot of people just associate them with the images and stuff. And I totally agree. I think like, the image side of the things, like there's people buying stuff for like a million dollars and they own it on, on a block a blockchain. But yeah, I get it. it. It sounds very dumb. But the bigger underlying picture, as a musician and artist especially, do you remember like the Napster and all that stuff with like music and, and how people were stealing music through LimeWire and Napster and all that stuff? <laughs> yes, we were downloading the sound bits for the ringtones, right? Yeah, yeah, and like you can you could download like full versions of songs from artists and never have to pay for it, right? And again, they were like some of them were poor quality, but this is where NFTs could be. There's a lot of potential for for like a huge transformation just in the music and and entertainment industry alone. Um, and as a, as a musician and artist, I found this to be like this is great. Like I hate Ticketmaster. I don't like it. They're charged astronomical amount of fees, all that stuff. Like it's, it's insane. NFTs run on blockchain like crypto. Now, NFTs don't just have to be images. I, I write music. So I can put my song as an NFT and I can distribute it. And that NFT is encrypted, which means nobody can copy that NFT. Whoever owns that, it's imprinted on the blockchain. And that person digitally owns that copy of the song. Now they can resell it if they want to, but it still goes like, I still get, yeah. So question, okay, you could put your music on an NFT. They can't necessarily copy it, but they can resell it. So how can they resell it without fully owning it? Do they have to own it first before they resell it? Because then how do you get a portion of the proceeds? Well, like if, if, I'm, that's a great question because we haven't really hit to like this whole aspect of it. Like Snoop Dogg is actually trying to create, like one of his projects right now is doing an NFT based music platform, which could be, again, if done correctly, could be potentially huge game changer. Um, It just depends. 
I don't know the logistics necessarily. I'd have to get back to you on that because I don't know how with the reselling of it. I know though that they're trying to figure out how there are already some companies doing it where you can distribute out your audio and music files through as an NFT. And that basically eliminates them being able to copy it or duplicate it. I'm assuming based off of it, because it's a, what we call a smart contract. And that's a whole nother aspect of the crypto industry, which is even the real estate industry is using smart contracts now. Huge. They're, they're big deals. And that's kind of what NFT like audio or like, um, this is a perfect example. Getprotocol.io, they're a ticketing system, like an entertainment ticketing system. So they could completely eliminate Ticketmaster. If, if America grasped onto this, it's, it's awesome. And those are NFT-based tickets, which basically means you download an app to your phone. It would store your NFT ticket. And on that NFT, like music artists would they would get bigger payout royalties because the smart contract would, would communicate saying, this is your payout, this is your payout, this is your payout, and eliminate all of the hassle that we all go through with ticketing systems. Reselling the ticket would go at a fair market value. So like, let's say you can't go to a concert, there would be a platform that says, hey, this is the resale value for that, which I'm assuming would be the same for the music song itself. Like, what would be the going rate for that song to resell it or whatever? And how would the artist still get paid for that? And that smart contract would initially be the thing that would pay out to what it needs to be. And that's all linked up in the blockchain. And that's what prevents it from being hacked. That's what, that's what allows it to be distributed. But you could purchase a song of mine. Somebody else would purchase it. All of you would each have your own song, but you would have a specific encrypted, that version of it is yours encrypted. So it, NFTs are a bigger picture here than just, images wise it's it's a way of distributing out data information to users to use as a like a way of exchanging still digitally though it's just wow anyway i don't know if that made i'm trying very hard to like simplify it but in my head it like there's a lot going on so yeah it, de- it definitely sounds complex and I definitely want to have you back for a part two so we can really dive into it so I can really connect the dots and ensure the audience can connect the dots because it seems like there's a lot of moving pieces that are involved with nfts and you could do a lot with it so there's a lot of versatility in the side of nfts and what is the gatekeeper to really protect the assets behind mm-hmm. the nfts is the blockchain which is a system that runs on this like supercomputer, but there's a lot of firewalls in there that cannot be hacked. So it gives you that ease because there's security there. Yes. Yes. And that blockchain is that underlying web three that's making things that security wise really, really well. So amazing. So as we begin to wind down, Joe, is there any other thing that I did not ask that you want to mention that's going to add value to the conversation regarding NFTs, crypto, Web3, that you want to just let the audience know? Or if not, we'll jump into the call to action. Really quick, I think it's just important for people to understand, if you're going to start investing in it, look at the use cases, read white papers. Those are all stuff that goes in with crypto I always say that to people. I don't ever recommend investor advice because I, I don't ever want to do that. It's more or less just be aware to, to look at those use cases because that's what's going to tell you the underlying behind what you're investing in. So 
Amazing. And I like that because then that's like a challenge to them to just go out there and continue to emerge themselves in the knowledge so they could learn to become competent. Whereas not just necessarily listen to the investment advice that someone's right. giving, because that may not be the end all be all. And you don't want to get yourself in a pickle fickle. So <laughs> yes, good. Yes. So let's jump into the call to action. Joe, what is your call to action for our audience today? Really just don't, I know it's, it's a new market. I know it's not, it's, it's a, there's a lot to understand, but it's, it's to be on the front run of it, just so you're not on the tail end of it. It's, it's better to know it in the head of time. You don't have to agree with everything with it, with cryptocurrency, but it's to understand it because whether we like it or not, it's coming and it's a game changer, whether it's good or bad, and just to be aware of it and to try to learn as much as you can about it so that you're not tail ending it afterwards or whatever. So that's kind of my call to action with all of it. So, And Joe, how can they connect with you via your website and where do you primarily hang out on social media? Sure. Um, they could go to the wildonemedia.com. Um, it's T-H-E-W-I-L-D number one. Um, media.com. And then I am, I'm on Twitter and Instagram with crypto. So it's the crypto one-on-one show um, my handles, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and I, there's an email address in my podcast uh, information. If you want to get a hold of me um, through the crypto show, if you have questions or anything, I'm always game to answer any questions. I'm always game to take criticism. I'm okay with it. That's a part of being, you know, so, um, but they can reach me predominantly through the website would be most likely the easiest. Okay. So. Amazing. And I will link the website in the show notes as well as that email address if you want. And Joe, I really want to thank you just for coming into the community and just sharing your knowledge and just giving us like, you know, the high level, but then also challenge, challenging us to go do our research. Um, audience, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. We're on 40 plus platforms. I also want to thank each one of you for supporting the mission on a consistent basis. Because of you, we're now ranked in the top 2% globally out of 2.8 million podcasts per www.listennotes.com. And I wouldn't have been able to get there without your support for the guests that I bring into the community as well as myself. And we are on a mission to continue to bring content that is educational, inspirational, and motivational while we also connect the dots of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So if you want to be a brand sponsor, spaces are limited, but you can find more info by going to genesisamariskemp.net and clicking on that podcast tab. And for those of you lovelies out there who love video and want to see the facial interactions and et cetera between Joe and myself, you can go to our YouTube channel, which is at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with Genesis Amaris Kemp to see all things video. Until the next guest, next segment, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing one. Do your due diligence research, and never place all your eggs in one basket and level the playing field. Everyone deserves to be in that 1%, but you have to know where to start and how to grow your socioeconomic status. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, 
share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcasts.